when that time for you is freed up, you can go much deeper with your ideal client and they're willing to pay. That's where the building your wealth comes in. Hey, what's happening, everybody? Larry Roberts back with another awesome episode of the Readily Random Podcast. And today our guest is going to talk to us about how we can grow our business, but how to do it in a very, well, some of us would consider it a unique way. Alicia Maples joins us today, and even during her successful 17-year career in corporate America, winning awards, directing training and development on a national level, Alicia still had side businesses. Not because she needed them, but because she wanted them. And eventually, she broke free from the golden handcuffs of a regular six-figure income and started her own consultancy company, and she hasn't looked back since. Brilliant SMB and the moniker she's been given, the Profit Queen, represents her calling and her passion to empower SMB founders to build sustainable dreams, engage in their God-given purpose, and make a difference in the world for good. Incorporating neuroscience, research, and data into her consulting, Alicia has the most fascinating clients all over the world. Clients as diverse as Disney's Leadership Institute, a Pilates instructor who studied with Joseph Pilates, CPAs, a four-time world champion NBA star, an international tech company that IPO'd for $2.1 billion and hundreds more. Alicia, welcome to the Readily Random Podcast. Hey, hey! This is the most exciting thing so far. <laughs> well, hopefully it gets better than just the introduction, so... <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I've done a lot of corporate work, but my favorite is entrepreneurs. My favorite is working with entrepreneurs. So thank you for having me on today. Yeah, it's awesome. And, you know, a lot of the content that we have here at Readily Random is geared towards entrepreneurs. So mm -hmm. after you and I talk, we've had several conversations, actually, kind of gotten to know each other a little bit. And I'm very thankful for that opportunity. Uh, I definitely wanted to have you on the show and share some of your insight. Uh one of the cool things that you bring to the table that so many of us struggle with is dealing with those difficult clients. Some of the clients, we just, we dread those phone calls. They're coming in and we're like, oh my God, I've got this call scheduled with John Smith over here. And John, I want to wring his neck. He's not productive. He's not bringing in the value that mm -hmm. I wanted him to bring in as a client. And he's not acting on any of the action items that I give him. How do we change that scenario? How do we take advantage, uh, not advantage, but how do we take control of the situation and maybe even, I don't know, fire those clients? Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> yeah, so this is about, and this is a lot of the work that I do with entrepreneurs, Larry, is build your wealth by firing your clients. And at first, it makes no sense. You're like, wait a minute. Less clients, more money. Yes, less clients, more money. Actually, less of the wrong clients, more money. So how do you fire a client? That's your question, right? Well, yeah. I mean, or how do we, if, if we've gone through, if we've exhausted every opportunity we have to mm -hmm. work effectively with this client mm -hmm. and we find the client is more, you know, I think it was, was it Zig Ziglar that said you're either a wind in my sail or an anchor on my tail? And do we find, I, I, it might not have been Zig Ziglar, but I think it was. But anyhow, we'll, we're going to say it's Zig. Thanks, Zig. Uh, but, you know, if you find out there being that anchor on your tail, how do you cut loose, man? 
Super easy. So the first thing just to say as a foundation is when you're ending a client relationship, you always, always want to treat them with dignity and with respect during that process. Number one, because it's the right thing to do, right? This is how we're supposed to treat people as good human beings. Um, But number two, because even though you may not be working with that client in the future, that client is still a potential referral source for you. So you want them to feel as good as they possibly can once you end that relationship. And one of the best ways to do that, this is how I coach my clients through the process, is to allow them to deselect themselves. So I'll give you an example. <laughs> this, has me, this has me thinking back to high school when you're dating, you know, and you want to break up with them but you don't want to hurt their feelings because you still share classes with them and everything. Right. So it's yeah, like, that's true. it's not you. It's me. It's totally <laughs> me. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's a lot of truth to that, but yes, yes. There's a lot of truth to it. Okay. So, so here's the conversation. You've made the decision. You've done everything that you can. This client is sucking up all of your energy, your time, probably being super demanding you don't have time to work on the stuff that you want to work on for the clients who do pay you and do appreciate you. So time to cut ties. The first thing you do is you have a conversation with them and tell them, Hey, Larry, I just want to give you a heads up. I am making some really exciting changes in my business in terms of what I'm doing and how I'm working with people. So as soon as I get all the details nailed down, I'm going to get in contact with you and let you know what that looks like. So that's step one. And that's really important because you're planting a seed with them that change is coming. Then the follow-up conversation and or email, email is also very effective because you've preceded it with the conversation, is to say, remember the conversation that we had last week? Exciting things happening. And here's what it looks like. So in the body of the email, you're going to talk about whatever the misbehavior is. So let's say, for example, you're not getting paid or you're not getting paid on time or you have to keep chasing down money from this client and that's the misbehavior. What you're going to say in the email is, as my company is expanding and growing, the change that I'm making and how I work with clients is I am requiring 50% up front and the remainder of the 50% in two weeks. Or you can even say, I'm requiring 100% up front. Your client is going to read that. And if they have issues with money, they're going to go, I, I don't want to do that. And they deselect themselves. So if it's a different issue, if it's something like, say, scope creep, this happens all the time. Yeah. Scope yeah. creep. So, um, hey, Larry, can you just, you know, I've just got that one more thing. Can you, can you get that done for me since we're working together? Or, hey, since we've been good buddies or I've been a good client, can you just do two or three more things? That's not within the scope of what you agreed to. So if scope creep is an issue, then in the email that you sent to them, you're going to talk about that and say, I have a new contract for our work together. This is what is going to be in the scope of what we're doing. Anything outside the scope is going to be billed at a rate of $250 an hour. If you want to continue this relationship, sign the contract, send it back to me and we'll be good to go. 
And again, if this is a person who wants to try to continue to take advantage of your time and your expertise, that's going to be a no-go. They're going to end up deselecting themselves. Sure, sure. Voila. And that would still hurt my feelings if they if they didn't deselect. <laughs> I mean, hi, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's it's hard because as an entrepreneur, we all want as many clients as we can have. We got to have that cash flow. Mm-hmm. We got to have that that those those revenue streams that are coming in. Mm-hmm. So, how can we determine whether or not firing someone or having them deselect themselves is the option that we need to pursue here? Or do we hold on to that idea that, you know what, if I do this, they're going to pay. If I do this, they're going to pay. But then how long do we say that? And how many times do we do this and they still don't pay? So there, you're bringing up a really good point. And there are a lot of factors that you've got to consider. If you're in, if you're in startup mode, you are probably going to end up taking on some clients that five years down the line, you never would have considered because you got to get some cash flow in the door. Okay. Sure. So you got to take that into consideration. I do a lot of work with established entrepreneurs. So they've been at this for a while and they've got a body of clients that they, they just need to get rid of. And, and I hear what you're saying because it sounds totally counterintuitive, like less clients but I need money. Here's the thing that has to shift. It's, it's your mindset, right? When you are not dumping your resources, and I'm not just talking about money, I'm really talking about time and energy into the people that are not your ideal client, you have very little left over to give to the people who are your ideal client. Once you release these bad clients, for lack of a better word, all of a sudden, your time and your energy is freed up to serve your awesome clients deeper, better. Like you, for example, you've got all kinds of services that you can offer. You teach people how to brand their podcasts. You teach people how to podcast. You've got resources that you sell. When that time for you is freed up, Larry, all of a sudden you can go much deeper with your ideal client, offer more things to them and they're willing to pay. And that's where the building your wealth comes in. Does that make sense? It definitely makes sense. And it it makes me think too, though, that as we progress as entrepreneurs and as we continue to grow, Mm -hmm. there's gotta be some, I don't know, signs that we look for some, some red flags even that say this particular client may end up being a problem down the road. Is there anything that we can look for ahead of time or or is there a way we can gauge the effectiveness of our client uh, relationships? Absolutely. So nipping this in the bud at the beginning is the best thing that you can do to create a strong foundation for your client base. So the first thing that you need to do is you've got to identify who is your target client. And you know, you that, want, that, that, that right there, I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt, but that's, ahead, so, that's so different than what we're, norm, what we're used to hearing because mm-hmm. we're always used to hearing who's your ideal client, not who's not your ideal client. We're always looking for that avatar. And if we get into that desperation mode, especially as new entrepreneurs, and let's mm-hmm. be honest, as new entrepreneurs, we're always desperate, right? We have a tendency to maybe overlook the fact that, yes, this individual fits the parameters of our ideal client. Mm-hmm. but they bring a little extra few parameters that were not taken into account as well. So it's interesting to hear you say that because it's almost the opposite 
of what we're used to hearing and what we're used to conceptualizing when we're looking for clients. Yes, I agree with you 100%. It's part of the reason why I made this mistake, which is part of the reason why I'm so passionate about talking about it, right? So you've got to identify what you want, but you also have to identify what you don't want. What are the deal breakers for you? It's easy to say, I want somebody from this kind of industry who makes this kind of money. Those kinds of things are not what is going to hamper a relationship, what's going to make a client unsustainable for you to work with or miserable for you to work with are their internal characteristics. So you've got to decide what are the three things that I absolutely want in a client and then what are the three things that I absolutely do not want in a client? What are the green flags and then what are the red flags? And then you have to have a qualification process that helps you identify those things, especially what the red flags are. And then when a red flag pops up, it's not necessarily a hard pass. It's more, let me explore this a little bit further and make sure this is a hard pass. And then if it's a hard pass, it's like, I don't think that I'm the right partner for you. Going back to your analogy of it's not you, it's me. I don't think I'm the right partner for you. I think that you'd find what you're looking for better someplace else. Are there some common red flags that we could kind of outline and look for? Yeah, 100%. So we love to give back to the world, right? We're philanthropists. I know you are. I know I am. But we're also not nonprofits. We're in this to make money. At least one of us didn't. At least (laughs) both of us. That makes two of us. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So there's a difference. If somebody comes to me as a consultant and the first question out of their mouth is, Alicia, how much do you charge? That's a big red flag to me because that tells me money is an issue for them. They may not be able to make the financial commitment and they're more concerned about money than they are about results. Whereas if somebody comes to me and says, Alicia, tell me about the work you do. Tell me about the results that you get for your clients. Do you have some clients that I've talked to or that you've worked with that I could talk to? Uh, I want to understand exactly how you can help me. That's a totally different conversation than right off the bat, how much do you charge? So that's, that's a red flag. That's a very common red flag. Price is a fabulous qualification factor. So you want to have something about that in your questionnaire. And there are many different ways that you can qualify. I qualify my prospects through uh, an application. If somebody wants to work with me one-on-one, they have to complete an application. If somebody wants to be part of my membership community, they've got to complete an application. Uh, So that's part of the process. And so I've got some questions in there designed to highlight potential red flags for me. I will say on the flip side of that, Larry, if somebody says to me, do you accept payments? That's not so much a red flag because that says to me, all right, they're willing to invest. They might just be in a tough spot. I can work with that. But the first question out of the gate, how much do you charge? Mm. Ding, 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 ding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it, it, but, you know it's tough though because price is always that first thing that we have to overcome. And if I don't know that I would rule anybody out that said, that asked for price right out of the, I don't know that I would at this stage of my career. Let's put it that way. I don't know that I would go. Ah, they're asking how much it is. They can't afford it probably. 
uh, I'm not going to work with this person. Is, is, is that a red flag for me personally? Here is, here's a great follow-up question when somebody asks that. And again, it has to do more with the timing than it really has to do with the question itself. But a great follow-up question is, Larry, that's a great question. Why do you ask? And then just let them talk. And their answer is going to reveal the source of that question. Where is that question coming from? Is it because they can't afford it? Is it because, I I hate to say this, but this is the truth. In my world, in the consulting world, coaching world, there are so many scammers. So it could be maybe they've been scammed in the past. They've been burned. They've invested thousands of dollars with somebody who got them no results at all. And so they're gun shy. Yeah, and I think that's good. That's all part of the application process, per se, or even an interview process. Do you think interviewing potential clients ahead of time, having that conversation, is beneficial as well? 100%. In fact, one of the things, one of the ways that I help my clients have mind shifts around their fear of selling is this. Sometimes we go into a conversation with the prospect And we're so keyed up, Larry, and so nervous, like, oh my gosh, I have to prove myself. I have to make sure they understand how good I am. No, 100% the opposite of what you should be doing. Put in your mind that you are the interviewer. It is your job to understand if they are a good fit for you and if you are able to serve them well. So absolutely, you should be doing interviews with any prospects that you have. And again, have a set of questions that will highlight what could be the green flags and the red flags. What if it's a high-end client and you know that they're, you know, I don't want to use the term whale, but you know they're a whale and you know they've got got the money to spend. And although it may not be a fulfilling relationship for both parties, is that still something you should enter into? It's a good question, and I've got a bit of a personal story that I can share about this if you would like me to. Yes, please. All right. Here's the reality. If anybody has been in business long enough, they know the following is true. Some clients, no matter how much money they pay you, are just not worth it. They can pay you (laughs) triple. (laughs) You're laughing. No, I don't know, man. If somebody's coming at me with a big check... I, I might have a tendency to suck it up, you know, and just go, all right, I'm, I'm not going to enjoy this relationship. I'm not going to enjoy this project, but man, they're paying some fat cash. So let's just do it. So help me understand here, man. How do I possibly look at those, look at all them digits and go, ah, it's probably not for me. Mm, okay. Here's my story. I'll share it with you. So I was very young in this, in my business. I've been doing this for 14 years. And when I first started, I knew that I needed to get some PR. I got a call from my local business journal who wanted to do a feature on me. It was a massive deal to be featured in my local community. It was the eighth largest city in the United States at the time. And it was going to be huge career making for me. So I did the interview. It went great. I was super excited. And then at the end of the interview, the journalist said, okay, Alicia, this was fantastic. I just need to get the names and contact information for three of your clients who you helped get massive transformational results for. I was like, perfect. And I hung up the phone and Larry, no joke, I burst into tears crying because 
I didn't have three clients that I could share with him because I had been taking anybody and everybody on as clients. Mm -hmm. And this whole coaching and consulting thing, this is a process. It's not easy. Part of my job is to hold a mirror up to you so that you can see some of the things that you haven't been willing to look at before. And then we work through them. Well, at that point, because I had not been selective and choosy about who I work with, a lot of them just had given up before they got to that level of greatness that they could have achieved. So I was like, oh my goodness, I'm here and I don't have anybody to send to this journalist. Now, flip side, I had three friends that I was coaching for free and they had acted on it and they had transformation. So I was able to give him someone for his article, but they weren't traditional clients. That is the moment when everything changed for me in my business. And I realized I am never going to be in this position again. The next time that I'm asked this question, I will have no less than 15 or 20 people who can share what I did to help them have radically different results. I understood the value of what I bring and it caused me to be very choosy about who I worked with. I decided in my mind I was only going to work with winners. I was only going to work with people who were going to be committed to the process and who would have amazing testimonials they could share after. Well, to answer your question, I had an opportunity to work with a whale. I was reached out to you on Twitter at the time. This was back in the day when Twitter was the thing. And it turned out that the person that was meeting that wanted to meet with me was four-time world NBA champion, Bruce Bowen of the San Antonio Spurs. Also Olympic champion, Bruce Bowen, who you now see on ESPN. So from a bank account perspective, let me tell you, I had hardly anything in my bank account. Um, from a husband, ex-husband perspective, a husband. He was, <laughs> <laughs> what, what, are we wabbits now? Okay, a husband. <laughs> I got you. All right, all right. I got my you. my husband, the That's the ex. Too funny. He uh, he was putting so much pressure on me. Like, when is this business of yours going to take off? Like, really, when are you going to make some more money? That kind of thing. So, it what I'm sharing with you, it's not from a place where I had like this incredible portfolio and a yacht. I mean, we were hurting. But I understood the importance of having standards for who I worked with. So I didn't have inroads to the San Antonio Spurs. Like I could not pick up the phone and say, hey, Tim Duncan, let's talk. This was an incredible thing for me. And so we met. I'll never forget it. We sat down for breakfast. It was so surreal because he'd been one of my uh, sports heroes for so long. We, I was sitting across from him at breakfast and we had this great conversation. And at the end of it, he looks at me and he says, Alicia, I've made the decision. I want to hire you. And it was one of those moments where I had to make my own decision. Am I going to stick to what I said is important and valuable to me? Or am I just going to take the money? So I looked at this man and I said, and it felt like an alien speaking through my body and I said, that's great, but I haven't decided if I want to work with you. 
And he sat back in his chair. His eyes got huge. His mouth dropped open. And I'm sitting there going, but I'll stop. I'll stop. I say, I, I only want to work in my head. This is how I sounded, right? Right. I, I only work with winners. I only work with people who are fully committed to this process. And I don't know if that's you. And then there's just dead silence. And in my head, I'm going, you're an idiot. You're an idiot. You're an idiot. So you're saying this to a four-time world champion of the NBA and an Olympic gold medalist. So you're going, I only work with winners. I don't know that there's many people out there that personify winning more so than that. Very observant. Yes, that is correct. I mean, I I have some insight here. I am a podcaster. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so it, the, it, those movie moments were like everything time stands still. That's what happened. And he composed himself because I'm pretty sure that nobody had ever said anything like that to him before. I mean, who would be stupid enough to say yeah, that? I, I wouldn't have said that. No. You know, so he sits up in his chair, Larry, hand to God, sits up in his chair and he says, you go girl. And he gives me a high five and he said, way to value yourself. I want to work with you even more now. And I still made him complete an application. (laughs) And I can say, you know, they play those trivia games and networking events, like something unusual about yourself. And in San Antonio, I can say, I have something in common with Greg Popovich. I coached Bruce Bowen. And a fantastic, amazing human being. And and it was such a privilege to be able to work with him. But my point is that your compass, you've got to decide what that proverbial North Star is. And and be uncompromising about it. Because Larry, I'm going to tell you, once I made that decision that I was going to be selective about who I worked with. Everything in my business changed. Every single thing changed. And I had people who were looking for me instead of me looking for them. It was absolutely incredible. And when I'm working with my clients and I help them to flip this script in their head, it's transformational for them as well. It's a phenomenal story and not one that many of us can relate to. I, 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 cause I, I haven't met many people that would have um, the bravado to take the stance that you take on a regular basis. I, I think so many of us are driven by fear and fear of, of not being able to, you know, keep the lights on or fear of not landing that client for, because we're so selective. And I know that, Fear can be our best friend, but at the same time, it can be our downfall as well. So how could we maybe overcome that fear? What can we look at inside ourselves and go, hey, here is why I need to overcome this fear. I need to start. I need to go through and analyze my roster of clients and see who may be the potential uh, anchor on my tail right now. How, how, How do we do that? What would be like the first step as someone that's really wanting to follow through on this process? Really astute question. You already identified step one, which is going through your your client roster. This is this is what I talk about in uh, my one to one sessions and my membership community. It's called 
the fire your client framework, right? So you've got to do client, I know, so weird, but as you can tell, I'm not very traditional. Uh, the first thing you need to do is you need to segment your clients as in, in my segmentation process is A, B, and C. So A's, they're your gems. They appreciate you. You enjoy working with them. You don't have to chase them down for money. They just, they tick all the boxes, right? C clients, those are really easy to identify. They're the pains in the rear. You started off the show with it like, you know, oh my gosh, so-and-so is calling. I don't want to talk to that person. Uh, <laughs> those, those are your C clients. They're not paying you. They take advantage of you. They scope creep. They do all this stuff. The B clients, they're kind of the middle bucket. And we can talk about that in just a minute. So, But the first step is you've got to segment your clients. Then you have to realize there is actually quite a bit of body of research. And I didn't know this. Look, there are some people out there that teach something similar to what I teach, but it's from a manipulative perspective. And I'm going to explain this. So there's a body of research out there that, that shows Western culture, we're stupid, all right? We think <laughs> that we are in a lot of ways. We're smart in a lot of ways, but in this area, we're particularly dumb. Uh, the more expensive something is and the less of it there is, the less access we have to it, the more valuable it becomes in our brains. Yeah. The more and like the more, com- yeah, there's only a hundred. Let me get it. Why do you think there are limited numbers of prints and all this kind of stuff? Like I said, oh, yeah, tremendous, yeah. tremendous body of research, like two tennis shoes that are exactly the same. One's priced differently than the other. And something like 87% of people said that the one that was more expensive was higher quality. It was the same tennis shoe. Yeah. Come out of the same factory. Wine, you know, all that stuff. Okay. So this is not true in other cultures. It's true in Western culture. The, The less chance of access that we have to something, the more we want it. And the more likely we are to take action to try to get it. So you can balance some of the fear that you have or your audience has in their minds about, oh my goodness, I'm limiting myself with this statistical realization that the more you take a stand for who you are and who you're going to work with, the more people are going to want to work with you. Uh, another personal example, this happened to me. So I made this change, right? I made the shift. There is a woman that I had been chasing down. I mean, literally like kind of almost demeaning myself, chasing down because I wanted to work with her so badly. Wasn't returning my calls, ghosting me. I, I got a phone call from her after I had this realization. And she said, okay, Alicia, I, I know you've been wanting to talk to me. I have like three minutes. Let's have the combo. And I said, well, that's great. And thank you for making time. But I haven't decided if I want to work with you yet. And I said the same thing. I said, I only work with winners. I only work with people who are fully committed to this process. And Larry, this woman who had been avoiding me said, really? Well, um, my husband and I are committed and, and we were winners and, and we want to do everything that we can to be successful. And your process sounds very interesting. What's the next step? And I said, uh, fill out an application. So she went from ghosting me, disinterested to, 
how can I work with you? Mm. So there are a lot of people that will teach this as a psychological and sales manipulation. I am 100% against that. That's not what this is about. I advocate you standing in the understanding of your value and what you bring to your clients and realizing that not everybody is the right client for you, nor are you the right person for everybody else. Being selective about that, because Larry, we only have so much time. This life, yes, we need money to pay bills and to survive, but this life is about time. If you spend money, I can show you and I will show you a hundred different ways that you can make that money back. But if you spend your time, it's gone. I can't get that back for you. So dadgummit, be picky about it. <laughs> I guess Are you challenging. really that passionate about this topic? I can't tell. <laughs> dadgummit. I know. <laughs> Our time is limited. We don't know how much we have. And wealth, I was talking, I was on a podcast earlier today and he's like, define wealth for me. And I said, I think it's a personal definition, but for all of us, a component of it needs to be the understanding that we only have so much time. So let's make sure that we're using it the right way, the best way to fulfill our God-given purpose on this earth. And that means not wasting it with the wrong clients. Well, and two, that's one of the main reasons we become entrepreneurs is because we want to take advantage of the time that we have here and leverage it to the utmost of our abilities. And if we find ourselves taking on clients that don't work well with us for whatever reason it may be, we're essentially spinning our wheels or we might as well go back and do what we were doing before we were an entrepreneur. Maybe get back into that corporate rat race. Go back to that desk job. Go back to reporting to the manager at 8 o'clock in the morning and then leaving at 5 o'clock in the afternoon because we're doing the same thing. Now we're essentially punching that clock, doing work that's not fulfilling for us. Yes. You and I came from a corporate environment. We had no control over who our coworkers were, right? We, no. It was who, whoever, <laughs> no. you know, they hired a jerk that that I have to work with every day, my choice is to quit my job. But this is what we do to ourselves as entrepreneurs. To your point, it, it makes no sense. The only way to get out of fear really is to take action in it. I mean, there's the bad news is I'm not a mindset coach. I, I have friends who are, and God bless them. For me, with my <laughs> clients, it's like, you're afraid of that? Oh, well, go do it anyway. And the more you do it, you're going to get better at not being afraid of it. And then, man, once those transformative results start coming in, it's incredible. Well, and it's incredible on multiple fronts because you, you don't just transform your business, but I think you end up transforming yourself. Uh, you, you start to overcome that fear. You start to feel more empowered and you start to position yourself more accordingly throughout every aspect of your business. You know, if we're sitting here and we're dreading those calls with those clients, there's nothing fulfilling about that. There's nothing growth related about that. Sure, you may grow your bank account a little bit, a little bit, but then it comes back down to weighing the results. How much is that not necessarily impacting your, your, your financial side, but how is it impacting your business as a whole? 
if you're kicking rocks when you're dealing with your clients, are you going to carry that weight into the next client? Are you going to carry that weight into your next podcast or your next article that you're writing or the next speech that you're giving, your next presentation? Where is that all going to go? And I think we, we, we tend to stay way too laser focused on the fact that, oh, it, it's income. It's income. But is it costing you income in the long run? I think it probably is. Definitely is. You said it. I can't say it any better. Show over. Bye. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, I think that kind of leads us, though, that you have the framework. Tell us more about your framework and how that works out for people. Yeah. So the framework is, and this is where it starts, you've got to identify your niche niches lead to riches. You've heard that before. You've got to identify your niche. You cannot be all things to everybody and be successful. It doesn't work. So what's your niche? You can look at things like, um, I'm going to just paint a picture. You can look at verticals like, oh, this industry is where I want to, who I want to work with, or this industry is who I want to work with. But you also need to look at kind of the horizontal axis too of what kinds of people do I want to work with? What can I do that is better or different? And when you figure that out and you, oh, that's something gold, that's golden when you figure that out. And that's who you go after. Selecting a target market doesn't mean that if somebody who's outside that target market comes to you, that you say, oh, I'm sorry, you're not in my target market. I'm not going to work with you. That's not what that means. What it's about selecting a target market and a niche is about determining where you're going to focus your energy, your resources, your money, all of those things. Focus. You can take other people, but where are you going to channel all of that that you've got? When you understand your target market, they find you because you speak their language. So, they understand what you're saying. They can relate to what you're saying. Like part of what I say is I work with professional established entrepreneurs who they're freaking stuck. They're tired. They're working way too many hours. They're not getting time with their family. The whole reason why they started their business in the first place is lost because they're burned out. They can relate to that. So I do a lot of work with people and helping them identify who that is because there is a persona that you, Larry, and your audience specifically serves like nobody else can. We, we suss that out. We figure out who that is. Then if you're an established business and we come up with you know a lexicon, vocabulary of words for you to use in your conversations and your marketing, stuff like that. If you're an established business, Then we go through a client segmentation process. We figure out who are the A's, who are the C's, and these B's, where do they really belong in that process? We figure out how to let go of the people that need to be gone. And then this is where the wealth building comes in. Once you have done that, then we start looking at how you can serve those A clients deeper, better, more product and service offerings so that you build your wealth. That's essentially what the Fire Your Client framework is about. I offer that one-to-one. I offer that in the membership community, et cetera. Does that answer your question? Yeah, most definitely. Uh, is it an ongoing thing or is it? Uh, do you have a set time frame that the framework is applied? It's an ongoing thing. So if you want to work one-on-one to me, with me 
or you want to be part of the membership community where I've got all this in training and you've got some access to me one-to-one, it's not the same as doing one-to-one like this. Um, you can go to my website, which is brilliant, SMB as in small to medium business.com, brilliantsmb.com. And you'll see information there. Uh, I also have a very exciting free five-day challenge that's coming up called Credibility That Converts. And I can share more about that if you'd like me to. But yeah, that's how we do it. That's awesome. That is awesome. You know, this is, it's a conversation that needs to be had and I don't think it's had often enough. Uh, I know it's always gone underneath my radar. It's always just been take who you take, whoever shows up, grab them as a client, take advantage of the opportunity and push forward. And and sometimes too, I kind of put it on my shoulders and say, you know what? It's my responsibility to make them a good client. It's, it's Mm -hmm. on me to, because I mean, I'm the captain of the ship, right? As, as the, as the coach or as the consultant or as the, Mm -hmm. whatever it may be, project manager, whatever label you want to put on there, uh, I'm, I'm at the head. I'm, I'm leading the charge. So it's, I always look at it like it's on me to, to make the change and make it fit and make it work. Mm -hmm. But sometimes we just can't do that. Can we? Can I reframe? Can I reframe it for you? Sure. All right. Let's talk baseball. Okay. Batter goes up to the plate. Does he hit every ball that's thrown to him? No. Why not? One, it's probably impossible. I mean, what's a good batting average? Uh, I don't even know. 300? Is that a good batting average, I think? so. Okay. Never played baseball, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Why else doesn't the batter swing at every ball that's hit to him? Because it's not a good pitch. Or it's not in his range of motion, or I mean, there's a, there's a multitude of reasons, I'm sure. Is it his responsibility to make the ball a good pitch? No, and I see where you go with this. It's his responsibility to be able to judge the pitch and determine whether or not he can make contact with that ball and send it wherever he wants to send it. Right. And if he lets the fear of not making a grand slam cause him to try to hit every ball that's thrown to him, what happens? Either he just stands there and gets struck out with pitches, I assume, or he gets walked. Maybe you can walk me. That'd be all right. Just send me to first base. At least I get a little, <laughs> get a little something. A little something. something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but no, I see exactly what you're saying. And that's an interesting perspective because Oftentimes, I think too, as business owners, we don't look at it that way. And I think it's cool that you reframed it that way and gave that alternate perspective. And I love the fact that it was a, it was a relatable example. And you took my stance and immediately allowed me to see the opposite side. So it's a demonstration of that framework. And I appreciate you sharing that. Thanks. You're welcome. Thank you. And thank to, you. Thank you. To your audience, I just, I want to challenge them. I I get it. I have been there. Money's important, but what's more important is establishing the right foundation for your clients. Do it. Do it despite the fear. Most definitely. Look that fear in the face. Continue to carry on. Alicia, one more time, give us your website. And if people want to reach out to you, do you have an email address we could use or anything along those lines? Can they find you on social media? Where can they find you? 
They can. Yes. So website is brilliantsmb.com for the credibility that converts challenge. That is bit.ly forward slash credibility challenge. That one's pretty easy to remember. Mm -hmm. I'm Alicia Maples and that starts September 20th. So shortly after this airs, give me 20 minutes. That's it. 20 minutes a day for five days. You get access to me and you're going to end up with a slew of powerful testimonials that you can put all over online and own your authority. Uh, You can find me on Facebook under Alicia Maples, LinkedIn under Alicia Maples and Instagram under Alicia Maples. So I'd love to connect with you guys, with your audience, DM me, ask me questions. Uh, But yeah, get into that challenge. It's free. It's my way of giving back and it's a game changer for online authority. Cool deal, man. And Alicia, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. As we mentioned, when we started this thing, man, I've been talking to you uh, behind the scenes quite a bit. And I, I love what you bring to the table. I love your approach. And I love the fact that you're truly committed to what you're doing and you have a passion for helping others do the same thing. So thank you for that. This is just, this has been a privilege. I've loved every second of it, Larry. So glad that we connected. Thank you for having me. Cool deal. Hey everybody. Thanks once again for listening to another awesome episode of the readily random podcast. And you know, if you think back, I think you probably have a client or two or six that might fall into this framework. So do a little bit of homework, step back, take a look at your client roster and see who you might need to have this conversation with. And until then, I'll see you next week with another awesome episode. Thanks for listening, everybody. Take care. Bye-bye.